Quick note about this podcast episode today, we're going to be talking about a passage that contains some mature themes, so if you are a kid, hit pause and go talk to a parent before you listen. Hey, welcome to the Bible Savvy Podcast, a weekly conversation on how to understand, enjoy, and apply God's Word. I'm your host, Nikki Lucas, and I'm joined by teaching pastor Clayton Keenan, executive pastor Eric Ferris, and our special guest and good friend, Eric Hansen. Eric is the outreach pastor here at Christ Community Church. He works with both our local community outreach partners and our international ministry partners around the world. So we are excited to have Eric joining the conversation today. Uh, Before we get into today's passage, we came up with a few questions to help us get to know Eric a little better. Eric, are you ready? I'm ready. It's great to be here. All right. I'm going to start first. So you're the guy that works directly with all of our international ministry partners. So you've had the opportunity to travel to a lot of different places. Now, I've had the opportunity to travel to the Czech Republic on one of our short-term mission trips, which we call Go Teams, and it changed my life. So I would love to know what's been your favorite place to travel to and why? Wow. That's actually a question I get a lot uh, as I've traveled to a lot of places. Uh, And it's really hard to answer that question. Uh, You know, I would oftentimes say it's the last place I was. Um, because each place has a, has a really deep place in my heart. Um, early on, when, I, when, when my wife and I, Carol, started traveling and really involved in missions, gosh, that's been a while ago, we used to go to Russia a lot. This was kind of mid-90s, and Russia was just opening up. And Russia isn't necessarily geographically beautiful, but the people are just, just wonderful. So I would say that's, that holds a special spot. But yeah, otherwise, it's the last place I've been. Gotcha. Clayton? All right, here's my question. Um, when you're traveling, when you uh, lose your luggage, which I'm assuming you have, have had happen to you before, if, if you lost all of your luggage, but you only had one thing out of there, what would be the one thing you wouldn't want to lose? Yeah, I'm, I'm very fortunate. I haven't lost my luggage very often, but uh, I've thought about this a lot. And uh, I would say my toothbrush you know, trying to survive a week or two without a toothbrush. I don't know, for some reason, I just, I just need to have my toothbrush. So, what, what countries are our partners in? Oh, that's great. Uh, so, we're in Bangladesh, uh, over there next to India, Brazil, uh, specifically the Amazon region of Brazil, Czech Republic, it's the most atheistic country of the world. Uh, so, that's why we're there. Uh, Haiti. We've been in Haiti a long time, had a few different partners there, but that's really, uh, you know, that's the the poorest country in our hemisphere, so we feel like we have a responsibility there. Nicaragua, uh, it's the least evangelical in and poorest country in Central America. Uh, again, it's kind of in our, in our neighborhood of the world, so we're there, and then Sierra Leone, West Africa. All right, so here's my question. It has absolutely nothing to do with all of your international travels. Your house is burning down. Your family is out and safe, so you don't have to worry about the safety of the people you love. You can only grab two things out of your house. What do you grab? Oh, that's a good question. What do I grab? Um, well, let's see. A lot of our wedding photos, special photos are digitalized and up in the clouds. So we don't have to worry about that. Uh, probably I have a, a guitar that I really, really love that was, uh, it's got an amazing, actually amazing God story behind it. So uh, in that way, it wouldn't be replaceable. Um, I'm also a hunter. So I have uh, uh, a rifle uh, that was given to me as a gift that's really, really special. So, so probably one of those, you know, I would say. A guitar and a rifle. Yeah. yeah. All right. There you go. There you okay. Go. Man, thanks for being with us on the podcast. We're thrilled to have this conversation with you today. And for all of you out there listening, here's what's really cool, and it's one of the main reasons that Hanson is with us today. 
You know that we love the Bible. We love talking about the Bible because the Bible is God's revelation of himself to us. You get to know God by reading the pages of this book. When I first came to faith, the Holy Spirit did something undeniable on the inside of me that to this day uh, has not changed. Immediately, I wanted to be in God's word and I wanted to be around God's people. The Holy Spirit does that. And when you think about the fact that there are still people groups on the planet that do not have the Bible in their spoken language, you think to yourself, man, can we do anything about that? The answer is, yes, we can. And so when we get done walking through the comma method today, at the end of this podcast, don't tune out because Eric Hansen is going to talk to you about a project that we are currently engaged in that you can participate in to be a part of having the Bible translated into languages of people groups that currently don't have the Bible. That's awesome. So hang on at the end of this podcast when we're done with the comma method, and we're going to talk about that. Today, we are jumping in to Genesis chapter 38. It's a doozy, everybody. So get ready. Uh, let me set up the context of this story because it is... Um, it's one of those stories, it's kind of like this weird, like you're, you're tracking along with Genesis, you're reading the story, and then this is kind of like an aside or a meanwhile, over here, this is happening. So let me set up the context. Uh, God, you know, makes a promise to Abraham uh, that Abraham is going to have a great family, and it is through this family that God is going to bless every nation of the world. Um, and so as you're tracking along in Genesis, you are reading about Abraham and then his descendants, right? So you have Abraham and then Isaac and Jacob. Jacob has 12 sons, and one of the sons is Joseph. All the brothers become jealous of Joseph. They sell him away to slavery. Joseph's going to end up in Egypt, okay? Now, the story is really, after chapter 38, picks right back up with Joseph, okay? So the story has a trajectory, but chapter 38 is this weird interlude where it says, okay, so this story's going on, but meanwhile, one of the 12 brothers, Judah, he moves away to this area, and here's what happens with him. And so now we're going to read this story in Genesis chapter 38. All right. At that time, Judah left his brothers and went down to stay with a man of Adullam named Hira. There Judah met the daughter of a Canaanite man named Shua. He married her and made love to her. She became pregnant and gave birth to a son whose name was Ur. She conceived again and gave birth to a son and named him Onan. She gave birth to still another son and named him Shelah. It was at Kezib that she gave birth to him. Judah got a wife for Ur, his firstborn, and her name was Tamar. But Ur, Judah's firstborn, was wicked in the Lord's sight, so the Lord put him to death. Then Judah said to Onan, sleep with your brother's wife and fulfill your duty to her as a brother-in-law to raise up offspring for your brother. But Onan knew that the child would not be his. So whenever he slept with his brother's wife, he spilled his semen on the ground to keep from providing offspring for his brother. What he did was wicked in the Lord's sight. So the Lord put him to death also. Judah then said to his daughter-in-law Tamar, Live as a widow in your father's household until my son Shelah grows up. For he thought, he may die too, just like his brothers. So Tamar went to live with her father's household. After a long time, Judah's wife, the daughter of Shua, died. When Judah had recovered from his grief, he went up to Timnah, 
to the men who were shearing his sheep, and his friend Hira the Adulamite went with him. When Tamar was told, your father-in-law is on his way to Timnah to shear his sheep, she took off her widow's clothes, covered herself with a veil to disguise herself, and then sat down at the entrance of Enayim, which is on the road to Timnah. For she saw that though Sheila was grown up, she had not been given to him as a wife. When Judah saw her, he thought that she was a prostitute, for she had covered her face. Not realizing that she was his daughter-in-law, he went over to her by the roadside and said, Come now, let me sleep with you. And what will you give me to sleep with you? She asked. I'll send you a young goat for my flock, he said. Will you give me something as a pledge until you send it? She asked. He said, What pledge should I give you? Your seal and its cord and the staff in your hand, she answered. So he gave them to her and slept with her, and she became pregnant by him. After she left, she took off her veil and put on her widow's clothes again. Meanwhile, Judah sent the young goat by his friend the Adulamite in order to get his pledge back from the woman, but he didn't find her. He asked the men who live there, where is the shrine prostitute who is beside the road at Anaim? There hasn't been any shrine prostitute here, they said. So they went back to Judah and said, I didn't find her. Besides, the men who live there said, there hasn't been any shrine prostitute here. Then Judah said, let her keep what she has, or we will become a laughingstock. After all, I did send her this young goat, but you didn't find her. About three months later, Judah was told, your daughter-in-law Tamar is guilty of prostitution, and as a result, she is now pregnant. Judah said, bring her out and have her burned to death. As she was being brought out, she sent a message to her father-in-law. I'm pregnant by the man who owns these, she said. And she added, see if you recognize whose seal and cord and staff these are. Judah recognized them and said, she is more righteous than I, since I wouldn't give her to my son, Shelah. And he did not sleep with her again. When the time came for her to give birth, there were twin boys in her womb. As she was giving birth, one of them put out his hand. So the midwife took a scarlet thread and tied it on his wrist and said, this one came out first. But when he drew back his hand, his brother came out and she said, so this is how you have broken out. And his name was Perez. Then his brother who had the scarlet thread on his wrist came out and he was named Zara. Ferris, man, you know how to pick them. <laughs> I didn't write it. I just picked the reading for the day. Wow. Hey, good job. Good job reading all those The days, days of our lives saga continues with yet another messy yeah. family situation. I'm glad I'm glad Eric Hansen's here today because we're gonna so we're gonna glad. make him interpret this entire yes. passage. All right. So the the O in comma is observations. So um, let me just say the context again because I think our observations might help us with this. You're reading along in Genesis and the storyline flows pretty well. Like it seems to make sense. It goes from one thing to the next and you can kind of track, track what's going on. This seems like a complete aside. So as we make our observations, I'm going to ask all of our podcast listeners and for all of us to think about our observations. What is going on in the Bible that this is even included? Okay. So uh, any observations or questions about this story as we read it? Well, uh, you've already said it. It's it's very messy. Uh, there, there's a lot of things going on here that shouldn't be going on. So, that, I, I mean, that, that feels very on the surface, obvious. But sometimes when you're reading the Bible and you just get a gut feeling of like, this situation ain't right, you're probably supposed to feel that. You know, there's, there, there's probably something to be said of... Uh, I don't know why this is in here or whatever, but I know things aren't the way they're supposed to be. So uh, one particular thing uh, that I, I noticed right at the very beginning is when Judah, he, he leaves his family and he ends up marrying the daughter of a Canaanite. Mm -hmm. 
So rather than, you know, earlier as we've been reading in Genesis, uh, Abraham makes a, a big deal, you know, when he says, I want to find a wife for Isaac, but I want to make sure he comes from our, our, our broader family community, because then, then we know that, that, that person and they're going to follow our God and that sort of thing. And uh, the same thing happens with, with Jacob and so on. So with this one, to have someone say, I, I'm just going to meet someone who worships whatever gods and from, you know, this, this culture that isn't ours that we're supposed to be different from, and I'm going to marry them. That, that, that send off a little like, hmm, that, that might be the start of the trouble here. Yeah. Now, what, what pops out to me too, you know, going through Genesis here, a lot about the covenant, the covenant, 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 and these promises. So what you just shared, Clayton, you know, there's stepping out of outside of that covenant, outside of some promises, some conditional promises uh, as well. And, uh, you know, just the first few verses of 38, I was just underlining here, you know, it says a son, a son, another son, firstborn, firstborn, offspring, offspring. So the importance of that family line, you know, really, really stands out in that talking about promise and covenant. So there's, there's a connection here, it seems like. Yeah, I, I picked up on the fact that he married someone that was a, uh, that was not from his, you know, his group of people. They weren't an Israelite. They didn't follow uh, the God of Israel. Um, and then you find out later that his sons were wicked. So is that, is there a correlation there? You know what I mean? It doesn't say like the first one, the firstborn, or we don't say why he, it doesn't say why he was wicked. We learn why the second one was seen as wicked in, in God's sight, but they, they were a wicked family, we'll say. So what do you do when you're, when you're reading, in, especially Genesis, which the story tracks in, pretty chronolo- in a pretty chronological way, right, for, for the vast majority, if not all, of Genesis? Um, what do you do with these observations? Okay, so let me, let me ask the question a different way. Let's just have this conversation because I'm sure podcast listeners are probably wondering this. Why is this even in the Bible? You could, I, I could, if I made the case, you could just pull Genesis 38 out of the Bible and the story would just track. What does Genesis 38 offer us and the story of Genesis? I think it's, I think it gives us an example of how far off track God's people can get if they don't stay close to him. Uh, I, I think that is what the interlude means to me, at least. That's what I think of. Yeah, a couple of key words that stood out to me that I think answers that. Uh, down there, verse 14, it says, um, she disguised herself. So she became or made herself look like, at least, somebody who she was not. Um, and then, uh, uh, you know, talking about uh, uh, Judy here, how he, he made that pledge and he gave away his cord, his seal, his staff. That's his authority, his identity. So there's something with people giving away their identity, who they, who they are, who they're made to be in God's sight. They're giving that up. They're, they're, they're prostituting themselves. So I think that that's something that really stood out to me. I think, uh, I think there's something really realistic about the way the Bible portrays people. Like um, from a distance, if you look at kind of religious folks or church life or, you know, wh- whatever you picture— um, a lot of people have this expectation of, well, you kind of have to get your act together a bit to be a part of that. That that the expectation is that if I want if I want to belong there, that um, my life can't be messy and I can't make mistakes. And uh, so if I'm going to do that, I've got to be able to pull that off. 
And the Bible is incredibly realistic to portray the people that God actually uses is not actually having it all together and being very messy and making terrible mistakes that they know are wrong. Um, and when you think, you know, uh, th- there's a little bit of knowledge, you know, coming from uh, different places, but Judah, uh, he's the he's the guy who Jesus is in his family line. King David comes from him. Uh, King Jesus comes from him. And yet uh, this guy, like he, he almost screwed the whole thing up. You know what I mean? And so to say, this really isn't about um, you and your goodness and uh, you and your performance, uh, but God's promise and being faithful even when people aren't. Um, it's important to see that, you know? Yeah, when I when I read Genesis 38, part of me wondered, I wonder what was going on with all the other brothers. <laughs> you know, like we know where Joseph is and we're going to pick right back up with Joseph's story in Genesis 39. We're getting a glimpse into what's going on with Judah. We don't get a whole lot of glimpse into the other brothers during this period of time, but obviously they were living their lives, right? And uh, so I, I just, my brain does weird things when I'm reading the Bible because I get all of these questions in my head. I'm like, wonder what they were doing and, and, why, and why specifically are we reading this story about Judah? I, I, I'm still, everything yeah. you guys all said made sense to me, but if, if, we, thi- if we think or know that the Bible's not a mistake, right? That everything in the Bible is profitable and that God has it in there for a reason. There's something about this that's revealing God to us or how God works to us. Um, let me let me uh, suggest two things that are coming up. So one is if you just turn the page, like tomorrow's reading is another like sexual situation. So Joseph is going to be tempted sexually and he's going to make different choices than Judah. So I definitely think there's some contrast there of like how, how things could go wrong and how things could go right. Like there's, there's definitely that. I also know, having kind of, you know, read ahead for, uh, for what's coming up, that Judah comes up later. And later in the story, he's going to have to admit that he has done some things wrong. And I actually think that some of the like priming of that for him to be able to say, man, I've really screwed up here comes from him having to face his own failure in this situation. I, I think there's a, a little bit of a connection of this humbles him a bit. Okay. So sometimes when you're reading the Bible, you're reading something that the connection is going to be made a little bit later when you're reading in the Bible. So this this is why Bible reading plans like Bible Savvy or any any good reading plan that actually has you reading in context, right? Like some sometimes you can read the Bible and you're jumping all over the place. I'm reading Galatians 1 today, and then I'm in a Psalm tomorrow. That's okay. Uh, there's nothing technically wrong with that. But if we embrace the Bible as a story, then it makes a lot of sense to read it in context and to read it as a story. And so reading plans like Bible Savvy that keep you reading entire books of the Bible in one chunk is actually a very helpful way to read the Bible because sometimes you're going to read something like Genesis 38 and you're going to go, why the heck is this even in my Bible, right? It just seems like a weird story and you go, and like like Clayton was saying, you go, this is just messed up. Like this just feels totally messed up to me. And maybe you don't go any further than that. And then a few days later in the reading plan, you go, oh, I know this Judah guy. Oh, and I know that story. And now what you're reading makes more sense. Um, so all good observations. Let's move on to meditation now. Uh, remember, meditation is just prayerful thinking. Um, and so uh, we take 45 seconds in each podcast 
to meditate on the portion of Scripture uh, that we are reading. Okay, so uh, here is here is the thought that I would like everybody to meditate on for 45 seconds. You have Abraham, Isaac, Jacob. Jacob has 12 sons, the 12 tribes of Israel. Judah is one of those sons. I'm not going to say any more than that. I just want you to think about the fact that Judah is part of the promise. 45 seconds to prayerfully think about that. Okay, so we have just spent 45 seconds thinking about, prayerfully thinking about the fact that Judah and this whole story is is part of the promise, the promise that God made to Abraham that his family would be a blessing to every nation of the world. And yet we have this um, odd story, seems like a, a bit of an aside, but obviously it is it is not. It, there's something significant in here. So we, we move on to message. We're trying to uh, ask ourselves, what is the message coming out of this text? And so as we're as we're trying to formulate the message, we probably just need to admit something on the front end. Uh, there is a lot going on in this story that is culturally embedded. Uh, there are things you're like, well, why is that a problem? Or why would they do that? Or so what were some of those things that you guys saw in there that was that seemed like, I really need to know a little bit more about culture to understand this story? The, the fact that she was expected to uh, you know marry her brother-in-law. So you're, if your spouse dies, it's like, well, you got to marry his brother. And if you're a brother and your brother dies and you got to marry his wife, like that's that's a little weird. And, and, and provide an heir. And provide an heir. Yeah. 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 It's not just come live into my home. Yeah. Yeah. That's the biggest one. And then, and then what was, what's the deal with asking for something in return until he can yeah, the, deliver the her? Seal the, the seal and the cord or whatever, and the staff. staff. Like what? Was there importance to those things? Like, I don't know. Yeah, and then the the assumed punishment for spilling your semen on the ground is pretty harsh. Yeah. So all, all of these things are culturally embedded, and it would fly right over your head as a American reader in 2020, right? So once again, we keep saying this in the podcast, but it's worth saying uh, consistently, uh, this is why uh, a good study Bible that will help you get to some of the cultural context of what's going on uh, is really helpful. Because in those study notes, you're, you're going to see a lot of cultural information that's going to help you make sense of uh, these kinds of stories uh, and details in stories. So uh, sometimes, you know, I know some people are tempted to do this. You're, you're doing your Bible reading and you treat it like a race, like it's a task, right? And so you decide it's got to get it done, right? And so... I just want to encourage everybody out there listening that once again, uh, it's not a race. It's not just a checklist or a task. God's not going to love you any more or any less today, whether or not you do your Bible reading. We read the Bible 
because we want to understand, because we want to know the God who gave us the Bible. And so to, to slow down and enjoy it and read those study notes and if you see, you know, a cross-reference in like those little superscript, you know, letters that tell you to go check out this or check out that, you know, and you kind of jump around and you want to understand best you can. So just want to encourage everybody to slow down and read and think and enjoy and, and as much as you can, don't make it a task. Make, make it a, a moment where you're saying, man, this is, this is amazing. I get to know the God that made me and, and made sure that we got this book so that we could know him. All right, so uh, message. We're, we're, we're trying to get a message out of Genesis chapter 38, so uh, let's, uh, let's, let's try this. All right, a, a message uh, look, uh, from the observation of, it started off when, when Judah married uh, a Canaanite woman, and then there was these kind of like domino effects of sin, you know, sin, sin led to sin. Um, I, I think simply the truth that very often one sin leads to another, you know, that there's, there are times when you let one thing happen in your life and you then open the door to the next wrong thing that you would do and the next wrong thing. Uh, or sometimes you uh, do something and you want to cover it up, but then you do something more. So like Judah is trying to, you know, uh, you know, evade what he's supposed to do. And so the, that message of uh, I, you got to be careful because one sin will often lead to more sin. International Eric, do you have a thought on message? Yeah, I'd say something about how, um, you know, and this is going to be too long, you know, to put in our NIV Bible here as the subheading, but uh, the way Judah really made a mess of things and, uh, you know, unfortunately gave away, uh, you know, his, his authority, you know, broke that covenant, but he was still able to recognize righteousness, you know, down there in verse 26, you know, that's, that's amazing. And the way that, you know, as we read, we know that the story of Judah, how God used him and worked through his line. So, you know, we know the end of the story for, for him, but that should be encouragement for us as well, as we stumble through life, as we make uh, bad decisions, as we give away uh, the authority God's given us, and maybe even disguise ourselves, try to be somebody else than who we are for whatever reason, that there's, uh, there's always redemption that's there. God is so gracious and, and so good, and, and we are so undeserving of his love, but he still pours it out upon us. Yeah, so for me, the message was this: seeing this discontentment, uh, and again, letting that kind of lead you in the wrong direction. Uh, for whatever reason, uh, Judah left his brothers. Judah went and found uh, someone uh, and, and started a family with them that was outside of uh, the Israel circle. They, they, it wasn't, uh, they didn't believe the same things he believed in, and it, it just continued to get him further and further away from uh, God. And I think when we try to um, kind of go our own way, it, it just doesn't go well for us. Yeah, so, so my message is kind of along the lines of Clayton's, where Clayton said, you know, one sin can open the door for another sin. Mm -hmm. I think one of the things we see in Genesis is the generational nature of things, which I don't think we often think about. Um, but we all know that we live in, we all have a family tree. And it's very easy to say, like, my grandpa was like that, my daddy was like that, and now I'm like that. And I can say that, and there are things about that I like, but there are also sinful things that run through my family tree that have become a part of who I am that I have to deal with, right? And so seeing the generational nature of what's going on, whether it's blessings or curses or what, whatever you would want to call it, um, and to, to Hanson's point, the redemptive 
nature of God, that God can intersect that at any moment and turn things right. Um, I'm just really appreciative of that. And so we move on to application today. So we want to draw an application for our lives from the messages we're drawing from the text. So uh, let's just have uh, two of us for the sake of time, because we want to we want to get to Hanson talking to us about faith comes by hearing. So uh, application from this text. I think, uh, you know, if one sin leads to another, then it's worth taking the time to say, where have I, where have I just opened the door? So that uh, application would be, God, where have I let sin come into my life? And let's stop it now. Yeah, I'd, I'd say, um, you know, that the words that I pointed out before about disguising ourselves, that's what Tamar did. And um, I think that's what we do when we follow after sin, is we become uh, somebody less than who God uh, has designed us to be. So to, to really live out Christ in us. Um, so that would be an application for me, reminding myself you know, every day, every morning before I get out of bed, who I am, whose I am, and to live that out. All right. Great conversation, guys. Eric, thank you for joining us today. Hey, it was great being here. You know, you guys chose a difficult chapter, but it was really fun to talk about and learn about. All right. Well, before we go, for the past few weeks, our listeners have heard a little bit about our year and gift partnership with Faith Comes by Hearing. Uh, this is what we promised you were going to hear about. Um, and this is our goal to record the Bible in different languages this year. And so we thought it would be really great for you to share some vision and some details about this project, uh, since you're the guy working directly with Faith Comes by Hearing, and tell our listeners, how can they get involved in this? Yeah, th- this is an amazing, amazing thing. There is over 7,000 languages on average, uh, you know, av- roundout, uh, spoken around the world, and uh with about 1,700 of those or so that are uh, translated uh, and recorded. And, uh, uh, you know, Bible translators like Wycliffe, that they're the most widely known Lutheran Bible translators, organizations like that have been working and working and working. And and the languages that are left are uh, harder to get to. Either they're in dangerous locations, uh, that people are not uh, open uh, to others coming into them. They're unreached people groups. They might be distant and difficult locations to reach. Um, so that's why they're some of the last ones there. Not only do they need the word translated into their language, it needs to be recorded. Um, most people don't know this. We don't know this in, in our culture. About seven-eighths of the world population is actual oral cultures. They learn best, remember best orally. And oftentimes these people groups can't read or write. So they need to have the Bible not just in a written form translated for them, but they need it to have it, they need to have it recorded uh, so that they can learn, so they can hear it and, and absorb it in, in that way. Uh, so we built a relationship with Faith Comes by Hearing uh, probably a decade ago. And uh, out of our uh, normal budget that we have, where a percentage of everybody's giving goes towards our international budget, we've been uh, uh, funding the recording of languages uh, in some of our partner countries. So in Brazil, we've actually done, uh, I think it's 14 languages over the last decade uh, in these indigenous people groups, these tribal uh, people in the Amazon. We've done a few in Sierra Leone and and other places. And what's really, really cool, we're joining arms with all these translating organizations, recording organizations, a lot of mission organizations are all coming together 
to finish this, to, to finish getting uh, uh, God's word to everybody, make it accessible to everybody on the planet. So what we're doing for our year-end gift, uh, we've decided because we have this, this biggie goal of, of Bible every day that we said, you know, how can we provide Bible for more people around the world? Uh, so uh, we're encouraging people to give, and at least 70% of this year-end gift will go towards the recording of languages. Each language takes about $35,000 to record. It's a six-month process, sending it team into the field and funding them and, and all that they need to be able to do this. And uh, so, for instance, if we raise half a million dollars, 70% of that would be about uh, would be $350,000. We can fund 10 languages. And uh, it, it, it's amazing. I've, I've been in some of these circumstances where um, missionaries are trying to bring the gospel into a people group, and they do not have uh, scripture in their own language. Hearing uh, scripture being told to them from a different language, it's like somebody else's God. So, but when you hear people hear God speak to them, his spirit speak to them through his word, all of a sudden the lights go on. This is my God. This is my God to your God. The God that you're talking about is also my God. So it, again, it's an amazing thing. Um, you know, I wish we could all kind of catch that. Um, but yeah, for our church to be able to go after this, this is this is huge. Uh, and this would be by far our farthest reaching year-end gift that we've ever done. Uh, we've raised a lot of money before, done some great projects. Uh, this could impact millions of people. So uh, needless to say, I'm a little excited about this. I hope we raise way more than $500,000. Um, and uh, anybody who loves the word, you know, understands how important this is to be able to get this to other people. So I'm excited about it, and I'm, I'm glad to be here. Yeah, well, thank you for sharing that. That is amazing. Um, if you guys want to get involved in and in being a part of this project and helping us record uh, the Bible into as many languages as we can this year, uh, you can go over to BibleSavvy.com to learn more uh, about our year in gift. Uh, Eric, again, thank you so much for being here with us. Thank you for sharing that vision. Friends, that is all that we have for you today. We hope that you'll join us next Monday. Clayton will be walking us through another passage from the book of Genesis. In the meantime, if you're not following along with the reading plan, you can head over to BibleSavvy.com to download that as well and to start reading along. Don't forget to subscribe on whatever platform you're listening on. Tell your friends, and we'll talk to you next week.